burn it all down so something new and more beautiful can emerge because when we're attached or we're holding on to things that are no longer serving, no longer valid, no longer true, then we just start to degenerate with those things. Whereas if we can burn it down and let something more beautiful emerge, now we have a whole different and better and more effective future. I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. Time to take a stand? Learn how your identity impacts everything from your brand to your business to your life in today's episode of I Love Marketing. In this episode, Dr. Patrick Gentempo and Joe Polish explore why creative destruction is necessary when seeking success and purpose alignment. They'll dive into the philosophy behind pain transformation, success, and fulfillment, and share what entrepreneurs who are experiencing maximum tension need to do to create space for growth. You'll walk away with more clarity on your stand and your brand so you can rise like a phoenix and build a business that is easy, lucrative, fun, and fulfilling. Hello, this is Joe Polish, and I am here with a dear friend of mine by the name of uh, Patrick Gentempo, Dr. Patrick Gentempo. So, Patrick, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, especially this new book that you have called Your Stand is Your Brand. Uh, but we've known each other, I guess, probably 15 years or so. Yeah, it's probably that or more. Yeah, our, our mutual friends, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, the late Nathaniel Brandon, who was brilliant, and John and Missy Butcher. Yeah. That's how we met. We're literally in the W Hotel in your suite mm-hmm. recording this episode on my on my iPhone. Amazing what technology can do nowadays, huh? Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's awesome. And we've got your lovely wife, Lori, in the background here just kind of observing. So you can, by the way, Lori, you can pipe in and say anything you want at any point in time if he says something that doesn't sound. <laughs> so so for, for people that don't know you, who are you? What do you do? So, uh, and incidentally, since you mentioned my wife and you mentioned that the name of the book, Your Stand is Your Brand, uh, she actually gave me the title. Really? Yeah. Okay. There you have it. Awesome. And you're the one that actually even gave me the URL, the first domino. That's correct. Uh, you know, because that's that's something I actually opened up my most recent Genius Network annual event with, which is I gave everyone in the audience a domino and said, you know, who's been a first domino? What's a person, a book, a thing in a positive way that impacted your life or even in a negative way? And I know your book is going to be a first domino for a lot of people, which is why I want to talk about it. Well, yeah. And, and I guess you know, before we get into it. I remember clearly we were in New York City some years back, could have been as many as eight years ago or so, having a conversation. Everybody that I talked to and how you connected people and when they talk about their outcomes, their success, what's happened in their life, the consistent story was it started with you. Then all these other things started going downstream from that. And that's where I said, and I, I literally, I bought that URL with you in mind, saying Joe Polish is the first domino. And that's why I said, I, I went to see if it was available. It was, and that's why, that's why I got it. And you have been for so many people. I mean, you just, you're, you're a value creator for, for individuals and you have been for me. And, you know, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that. No, thank you. That means, <laughs> that means a ton. And I, I love, yeah, I mean, I love it and I, I appreciate it. And look, I was, just, we just did an interview at your conference mm-hmm. for all of your clients and many of them, uh, most, almost all of them in the room. Yeah. 
were doctors. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so what do you do? I mean, you're a philosopher. You do a lot of stuff. You've, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So it's funny that you came up with that first because in my own self image, uh, I'm first and foremost a philosopher. So by academics, you know, I'm a chiropractor. Uh, so my, my quick thumbnail of my career, cause I've had multiple careers is I started life as a chiropractor while I was in practice. I had a problem to solve like entrepreneurs do, which was called, uh, how to better assess our patients for what we were trying to get done. So I ended up co-developing developing uh, neurodiagnostic technologies that I ended up getting patents on. Next thing you know, uh, I'm in a business. I ran that business as its CEO for 23 years. Uh, I exited in 2011. When I exited, we probably had about eight or 9,000 clients on six continents. So it went global and, and we had a lot of people who engaged in what we did. But we did along the way business training and, and personal development, all these things, because I realized that it wasn't an individual or it wasn't the machine that we we're selling that got the result. It's who the person was using the technology that got the result. So it became you know very identity based. So through all those experiences, and I had tons of entrepreneurial experiences, you know, for any entrepreneur that's been in business for a lot of years. I started 16 companies to be really, really clear. Not all of them worked, you know, and, and that's that's just a part of the game. But also at the same time, it built multiple multi-million dollar companies that did work. So I, I went through this kind of arc of experience and Lori and I, we decided when we sold the company in 2011 that now we wanted to kind of rather than divide and conquer, combine and conquer yeah. was the next phase of our experience together in our relationship and our marriage. And we created a holding company called Action Potential Holdings. We also, because we lived with so much structure for so many years, you know, because I managed by objectives, values-based decision-making, all the things that we not only taught, but lived by in our own businesses, we decided at a, at a point in time that to say, let's take a step onto the magic carpet. I teach in my philosophy formula program a thing called the make-let paradox. And I say that sometimes in life you have to make things happen. Sometimes in life you have to let things happen. And the master of life knows when to do which. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is saying, let's, let's do a lot more letting. Let's let some things happen. Step on the magic carpet and go out into the world and see where it leads us. And I'll be damned if it didn't take us to some places that I could not have possibly imagined. One of which is now our main business activities in a company called Revealed Films. And we make docuseries films. Um, it started as a passion project, the first one. And now we've done several of them over the last few years. And it's been a, a raging experience and success and, and, and a lot of fun. But I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. Well, it's interesting, too, because you cover <laughs> all kinds of different topics, some of them very controversial taking interesting stands even some myself that I I you know have to question some of the stands that you, you take but sure. which is why it's I think so appropriate for us to have this conversation and I do want to mention that you recently came to my 100k group called Genius X that people invest 100 grand a year to be in and gave a talk on your stand as your brand and it was super well received I mean I yeah. think this is a really important message and as much as there's a lot of horseshit out in the world about brand yeah. I think you have something here, not from per se advertising, but just how to think about who you are, what you stand for, right. you know, putting your flag in the ground and not wavering, right? And I think, you know, the subtitle of the book, I think, reveals the fundamental nature of it because the subtitle is how deciding who to be, not what to do can revolutionize your business. Because so often we're looking at trying to get to the next level, the next breakthrough, whatever it is to, to scale up, to grow up. We're always saying, well, should I do this or should I do that? As a matter of fact, at the Genius X at, at your 100K group, we had the Q&A session after and somebody said, well, here's my circumstances. And, and so now given this, this and this, you know, what should I do? And I, and I looked at the guy and I said, with compassion and, and with love, and I said, you're asking the wrong question. 
don't ask me what to do. Ask who should you be right, right. now, given yeah. this situation. And I saw the lights go on because that's really what it's all about. And it doesn't mean that do the do part of the equation is not important. But what I've, I've come to understand through you know years and years, decades really of, of experience is that the jet fuel that drives everything is really your core values, your purpose, et cetera. Most people look at those as kind of corporate exercises that you do with them, you put them in a drawer and say, okay, check that box, now let's get on with whatever we do, as compared to saying, no, these are, these are literally fundamentals that can transform you. So I give many examples of this in the book, and by chapter by chapter, you know, it, it really starts out with what I think is the greatest barrier to entrepreneurial growth, what I call maximum tension, and that's when you have the driving forces of your life pulling you in a opposing directions. What's driving you in your personal life? What's driving you in your career? What's driving you in your relationships? What's driving you in your parenting? What's driving you to help your business? You have all these different categories of your life. And if the values are unaligned, it pulls you in opposing directions till you get to a point called maximum tension. And when you're at maximum tension, there's no space in your life to do anything because I, I've traveled the world many times over, millions and millions of miles, giving lectures all over the world. And one of the things that I would say to an audience in the beginning, I said, how many people here know something that you could be doing that you're currently not doing that would somehow make your life or your business better? Everybody raised their hand or most people would. And I said, anybody who doesn't raise their hand is lying. And anybody listening to my voice right now and listening to this, I'm telling you, you know something right now that you're not doing that you could be doing that would make your life better. So the question is, why aren't you doing it? And or what I'd ask a little bit more tug in cheek, why did you come here to learn more about what you're not going to do? How many podcasts have you listened to where you've taken notes, you've highlighted things, you, you've had aha moments, but it doesn't get put on the ground. Now, if you're listening to a podcast, it's because you have an intent to want to grow, to learn, to do something. But all of us have notebooks full of great ideas that we never did. Why? Because we're at maximum tension. There's no space in our life to be able to do something new. So I organized the book to put that in the beginning saying, hey, before we even get into the core content, let's figure out how to create alignment, open up space so that the stuff you're going to learn in the next chapters, you can actually put on the ground as compared to this being another book that you're just not going to utilize. That's going to be on the shelf. You can say, hey, look how smart I am. Look at all these books I have, but nothing gets done. Yeah. So th that's where it's starts. And then after that, and I'll, I'll tell you, this is, I think, the interesting chapter that I'm wondering how it how it lands. As you mentioned, we share a mentor, Nathaniel Brandon, and through Nathaniel and a lot of my own pursuits, I studied intently philosophy, but not just abstract academic philosophy. I wanted to learn philosophy as a practical tool for success. And I'm talking about putting dollars in your pocket practical. And I, I will make and defend the statement that philosophy is the most practical thing a human being can hope to embrace. If you understand philosophy and its branches and how to organize them in your thinking to create an alignment and a focus in thinking and models for yourself, which is not as hard as it might sound, you will be amazed at where it can take you. The next chapter is, is a little bit more academic in a sense. It's five branches of philosophy, understand what they are, but you're really it, it fundamentally asking yourself three questions. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? And now what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And when you learn the nature of those three questions and you learn how to apply them to varying aspects of your life, I mean, this book is an entrepreneur book, but you can utilize this for any part of your life. Not It could be your relationships. It could be how you relate to finance. It could be health. It could be any part of your life. But when you learn the branches of philosophy and how to apply them, 
it's transformative in a way that you can never go back to where you were. It upgrades and up levels your thinking in a way like nothing else can. And, and the thing that I, I will just say to you who are listening right now, you have a philosophy. Everybody's got a philosophy. The only choice is if you defined it or not. And, and that's what this is all about is saying, let's clarify and define that philosophy. Why it's important comes from Ayn Rand, you know, who was the famous novelist and philosopher who wrote Atlas Shrugged, amongst other works. And that's who, you know, Nathaniel spent 18 years with. Yeah. I mean, he literally had a personal relationship with him. Yeah. It was, it was, that, that's a heck of a book that his memoirs on that. And one day after I taught a four and a half hour class on philosophy in the branches to a group where he was sitting in, in, in the front row, he walked up to me afterwards and grabbed me by the shoulders and he said what rand once gave me i now give you which was one of the most chilling part, you know, moments of my entire life but what rand identified is that when you have contradictions in your basic philosophical premises the only possible result is destruction and the amount of destruction is relative to the level of that contradiction and how do you find and remove contradictions is through philosophy so when i adopted the premise about contradictions leading to destruction and i said well how do i clarify and remove contradictions and create more alignment i did that through philosophy and uh, i still every day am developing my philosophy more and more can you define philosophy just as um, I'll, I'll even say things just so even though it's a word everyone's heard a million sure. times what does what does that mean to you so philosophy you know there many people use different definitions and i think they all approximate what philosophy is if you take the word and break it down specifically philo love of sophie wisdom so it's the love of wisdom that's the kind of the generic view but saying this is the pursuit the passionate pursuit of developing wisdom in your life and in many respects i like that because wisdom i think you know if you're anybody that is out of survival mode or has any kind of a purpose in your life i think wisdom is what we all want to obtain so i think that that's a, a reasonable but very generic definition more probably concise definitions that are maybe a little bit more targeted would have uh, the art of critical thinking you know so where you can critically think and evaluate through these varying branches of philosophy. And there's probably many other definitions of philosophy where people try to uh, talk about, it, especially in branches like epistemology or ethics or metaphysics, what have you, where they'll, they'll uh, say that it's the art of integrating uh, you know, your view of reality through metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, aesthetics, the five branches. So there are multiple definitions that I've seen. My own view of philosophy, if I were to say, how would I describe it, maybe not define it, how would I describe it, I, I would say that philosophy is a system of critical thinking that is the most practical tool that a human being can embrace in their life. So that's how I look at it. Gotcha, gotcha. And by, by the way, what I'm going to also suggest, because uh, we're just a few minutes into this episode, is go and order this book online. I'm going to be putting this uh, episode out right, you know, it's in pre-order stages right now. Right now, yeah. It's not out, so mm -hmm. uh, just pre-order. And, and even though you can listen to it on audio, you can uh, get a Kindle version mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, I would actually recommend get the hard cover copy of this book and display it wherever you work. Because I think, it, for one, it's a cool cover. And secondly, for the very low cost of this book, just having like a piece of art and mm -hmm. think of this book as like a piece of art that says your stand is your brand as a reminder. This is actually one of these books that I recommend people display. Not for others, right. uh, even though they might ask what the hell is this, for yourself. Yeah. Because it's something that, to, to, so I think a physical version of this book is important. And, and this is not a, this is 
lot of people I've interviewed related to marketing and business that have timely books, like, you know, how to use a certain type of media or social media or something to, to create a campaign or whatever. But this is a timeless book. I mean, this, this long after you and me are gone and we're in another weird planet sphere of wherever, wherever we go. Yeah. This is a, a message that I think will uh, continually live on. So I think this is, is a really important book. I actually even gave you a, uh, I hope a good testimonial. You gave book. me a great one actually. And it's saying, thank you for, for acknowledging that I, it really was written with the idea of, of it being more timeless principles as compared to uh, a fad that can come and go. And incidentally, you mentioned your uh, Genius Network, uh, Genius X that I spoke at. So you graciously gave me the video. So we, we now, when you buy the book, if you go to gentempo.com, we have all the wholesalers or the retailers listed there or your standisyourbrand.com. They'll both lead to the same place. Once you put in your order, we have the, the bonus we're giving away is the recording, the video of my presentation at the Genius X event with the audio and the transcript. Oh, good. Yeah. So yeah. that's perfect. Because people paid a hundred grand to actually be in that room in order to watch that. So yeah. for the low price of a book that I would definitely do it. What I'd like to do as we go through this, because certainly there's things that you cover on the book, but also things that really you can talk about why you put this together. You you actually start the book out talking about being in the emergency room after being hit by a truck. You were literally hit by a truck. Literally. You, you, you had your leg shattered yeah. and you had some... Uh, so talk about where this... And you talked about the very first Iron Ram book you, you uh, read was Fountainhead. Fountainhead, yeah. yeah. So talk about how did you come up with this philosophy? What what set you on this path in, in a way that makes it applicable uh, for the person? Because I actually think one of the... The reasons people listen to podcasts is there's many reasons. One of them is, oh, I think I should because maybe it's going to make me appear like I'm smarter if I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> there's others. Maybe it's guilt like, oh, I, my business isn't working. I got to figure out some sort of you know, business strategy. I actually think, though, people want results in their life. Yes. And in order to get a result, they need a capability. And so you have a lot of capabilities that you didn't just say, oh, these are the code capabilities I'm going to get. Life had shit happen to you and it kind of forced it upon you. Right. And so you had some discoveries and stuff. So I'd love for you to kind of tell that journey, because uh, at the end of the day, I think this is something that can change the trajectory of how someone lives their life. You know, like my, my, my dear friends, uh, Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan, mm. you know, they're working on a book called uh, Who Not How. Right. You know, so if you find the right who they bring the how with them. Because right. a lot of people are buying how-to books. Let me learn this. Hey, what do I do? You know, and, and again, the subtitle, How Deciding Who to Be, Not What to Do, Will Revolutionize Your Business. Now, we want to hire the right who's right. because the who's will bring the what with them. Mm -hmm. However, if you're not even in the right who position, like you could be spending your entire career trying to please your parents, right. trying to live up to a status in society, doing what you think you should do. And then you wonder why you're not engaged with doing the things you say you want to do because it's not you. And so I think really whatever smoldering flame you may have, if you're not where you want to be or you have a flame that's kind of burning out of control, I think in a lot of ways you are helping people generate the energy they have in the most resourceful, directed, applicable way to really not only make an impact, whatever an impact's going to mean for some people, that may be making money, it may be changing lives, but ultimately human happiness in looking in the mirror every day and being like, I'm fucking living for who I am yeah. is an awesome feeling and hardly anyone experiences that in their lives. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you've gone deep and thank goodness for that because that's what this is all about. What you're talking about is identity, and what's 
interesting, maybe even fascinating, is that how we assume identities and we get attached to certain aspects of our identity, many times that happens through what we do. Like, you know, I, you know, so who are you? I do this, I do that. And I've gone through that and I've gone through the identity burndowns in my life, uh, you know, where it's like literally different acts of a career it might look like, but it's really different identities that emerge from me over time. And it's almost a purification process if, you, if you're growing, because some people literally, you know, when you ask those questions, I talk about what do I believe and why do I believe it? Yeah. Man, when you get in and ask, like, say, well, I think, you know, this, and it's like, well, why do you believe that? And then they realize, I don't, and then they start to think back in their life and like, you know, this happened when I was a kid and, you know, I just had that point of view and I just adopted and I mindlessly just kept it the rest of my life. I've, I've, and from the business example that it's, you know, let's talk about your business and your business identity because your business has an identity just like you do. And if, if you're, if it's confused and confused minds don't buy, then, you know, then you're, you know, you're, and then how do you hire the right people if, if the identity of the business is confused? You can see where all those things lead. Right. But, but was interesting is that I'll ask somebody, uh, okay, uh, what, do you, you know, what do you believe about your pricing? Oh, our pricing is great. We have good margins. Why do you believe that? And all of a sudden they start to look and say, shit, I don't know. It's because our competitors price similarly to that. So what starts to happen is that they, you know, when they start to get deep into their, their questions that, that are based in these philosophical areas, they start to recognize the fact that they're operating on premises that are maybe not well thought out, not well validated, et cetera. So what happens here is that, um, you know, when you're talking about in, in your comments about the identity and what you do, uh, you know, skipping to the last chapter of the book is on creative destruction. And that's the phoenix. That's basically when you get to a point of new realizations. I think when, when, we, when we're knocking on the door of the mystery of life and we're getting really to the higher ground, everything becomes a paradox. Mm-hmm. And paradoxes are different than contradictions in my mind. So what happens is it's the paradox that is an opportunity to say that two things that are seemingly contradictory really aren't and we something new can emerge. And it's happened for me and it's happened for my businesses over and over. And when you start to approach that, that's where you're going to burn everything down creatively. Not It's creative destruction. It's not wanton or negative destruction. Burn it all down so something new and more beautiful can emerge because when we're attached or we're holding on to things that are no longer serving, no longer valid, no longer true, then we just start to degenerate with those things. Whereas if we can burn it down and let something more beautiful emerge, now we have a whole different and better and more effective future in front. You know, I think it was, was it Sean Peter who first coined the term creative destruction? Well, like, where, where I don't he... know if he was the first to coin it, but he certainly addressed it. It's an interesting concept because there's one of my favorite questions quotes is be willing to destroy anything in your life that's not excellent. And I remember someone making a post when Mm. someone else posted on social media, this is several years ago, and someone's like, well, why do you have to destroy it? Why why do things have to be destroyed? And they were looking for a more gentle way of Mm. how you could shift and make a change. And there's a lot to be said about the term creative destruction. Mm. And there are certain things that just they have to be destroyed. They have to be demolished. So I'd love for you to expand on that a little. I could see how people might recoil at the term destruction, but really it's necessary. I mean, the second law of thermodynamics in physics, and it's not a theory of thermodynamics, it's a law, is entropy. 
everything in the universe is moving towards disorganization, disintegration, disassociation. So anything that you try to hold on to, to keep it the way it is, is going to slowly degenerate, dissolve, disassociate. Change, destruction, and creation is a cycle that is a part of our existence that is unavoidable. And, you know, if you, I saw you uh, playing with the serenity prayer, you know, basically understanding, yeah. <laughs> you, know, God, you know, grant me the strength to change the things I can, the, uh, you know, the serenity to accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think it's one of the most genius things ever written. We are not going to change the, the second law of thermodynamics. I have to accept that I can't change that, but my understanding of it and my alignment with it can start to recognize that I have to be open towards destruction and creation because the opposite of, of uh, entropy is syntropy. If you think about it, two cells become one, and then nine months later, you have a fully integrated, complex, multi-trillion cell organism that will later develop into an adult human being from the little baby. So if we, so there's not only entropy in the universe, meaning, oh, everything's going towards heat, death, and into equilibrium. The, the unique attribute of life is the fact that it's increased organization, increased integration, etc. But there's this cycle of life of entropy, syntropy, entropy, and that's, that's, that's creation, destruction, creation, destruction. So we, I believe, through our consciousness and our aspirations, the fact that we have some choice, we can have values, we have a purpose, we can move toward that purpose. I think the fact that we that that we're pain pleasure driven is bullshit. Or it, it, or I shouldn't say it. Many people are pain pleasure driven. That's only if you're in survival. Mm-hmm. Pain and pleasure in your life will come and go on an alternating basis all the time. So what's the constant companion? The constant companion is purpose. And what makes us different than any other form of animal on the planet is that we can choose a purpose. A cow can't choose a purpose for its life. If it could, there'd be no such thing as McDonald's. A, a dog can't choose a purpose for its life. If I've, it, I've met some very conscious uh, cows and dogs. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have <laughs> in altered states of consciousness. Yeah. So, <laughs> so so anyway, but the, so the, the, I think the, the point that I'm driving at is that we should embrace burning things down and then recreation. And I give some really great examples of this in the book of some real life stories of, of how this happened and what it led to. And, and I believe it's, it's, it's very compelling when you observe this and see how other people have done it. And then in our own lives and our own businesses, we can look at that. It doesn't mean burn the whole thing down necessarily. It might be burning down parts of it. And, right. and, and as you burn it down, say, hey, we've run this business for 10 years this way. These were our values. This was our purpose. It's time to come in and say, let's, let's burn that down and see if we can come with a, a greater purpose, a more compelling purpose with stronger values, etc. Create a new identity. And again, that's your stand and that creates the brand of the business. For a while, and I talked about it when we were, um, you, you were doing an interview with me uh, downstairs. For the longest time, I've thought, what am I trying to do here with Genius Network? I'm trying to reduce suffering for entrepreneurs and I sell people what they want and do my best to give them what they need. Mm -hmm. You know, what they think they want is more clients, more money, that. And what they need is to get rid of all the bullshit that's standing in their way of doing that. And they need to take care of their health and that sort of stuff. So I... I try to smuggle it in like a, you know, a Flintstone vitamin. You try to make it taste <laughs> like candy so the kid will take the vitamin, right? right, right. And so adults, there, there's there's uh, interesting hoop jumping that we sometimes do with uh, ourselves and certainly wanting to be helpful to people. And so I've talked about reducing suffering. Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking more and more about it lately that 
you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're signing up for suffering. I mean, there's no way to just, uh, I talk about elf marketing, easy, sure. lucrative, and fun, have an elf business versus a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. Now, on the surface, elf versus half sounds way more appealing. And at the same time, I've never seen anyone just fly right into elf. Right. You know, I mean, it's going to start, you don't know what the hell you're doing in the beginning. Mm. And there is suffering. You know, my buddy Dan Sullivan says there's two types of suffering in the world. There's short term and there's long term. You decide which one you want, right? right? And there are certain, you're going to endure difficulties and challenges. And when you had your leg shattered by having run over, you were in pain. And out of that pain, you turned it into productivity. Mm -hmm. And some entrepreneurs know how to transform pain into productivity, mm -hmm. into performance, into good things in the world. Other people, if they don't know who they are, and, and look, I'm not sitting here saying I know exactly. You know, that's why a book like yours is is to give direction, is right. to help someone get clear. Because like my friend Clay Hebert says, you, you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. Right. That's why you read books. That's why you get different perspectives. That's where philosophy comes in, right? Yes. So the thing that I'm thinking about more and more is how to redirect suffering, not just reduce it, because there are certain, in order to get to creative destruction, I mean, it's like in order to have a breakthrough, you got to break something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just needs to be a perfect storm before it transforms. You know, the phoenix doesn't just, you know, come out from the ashes. Shit need to, needs right. to be burned down. That's right. so, so the reason I'm rambling about this is I want to ask you your thoughts on at what point does pain like no pain, no gain. You remember right, that from right. back at the, you know, it's like sometimes no pain, no pain. And I sit and look at the world in convenience mm. and making things so easy seems to be really screwing up humanity in so many ways. Mm. I mean, we are in the most advanced stages of technology and access to things, not in all parts of the world. I right. mean, certainly there are war-torn parts of the world that are horrendous. I can't even fathom what some people are going through. And there's all these studies that abundance, you know, my buddy Peter Diamandis, mm -hmm. who writes books on all this stuff. The levels of depression, though, the levels of unhappiness, the levels of loneliness, the trust that we have, all of those things about just being a connected human being. We're more connected electronically than ever before in human history, but we're more disconnected. And so there's a lot of suffering that isn't being redirected in useful ways. Right. And so my question to you is, if someone's listening to this mm -hmm. and they're in an enthusiastic state and they're ready to go and they're you know ambitious, great. There's other people that are like, I'm fucking overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to handle it all. I feel disabled. I'm feeling incongruent. There's raw material there. Mm -hmm. And that raw material can create something amazing if it can be transformed or it can literally just be the continuation of pain and suffering and struggle and maybe death and suicide and all the horrible parts about it. So I guess what I'm asking you is how do you transform pain and suffering into more usefulness. It's how you respond to it, right? So I like the, you, I think it's a more of a Buddhist orientation where they say in life, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Right. So meaning that pain will come and go on an alternating basis, as will pleasure, right? Sometimes there's pleasure, sometimes there's pain. They come and go on an alternating basis. Ayn Rand in, in Atlas Shrugged, one of the most profound lines in the whole book, was when the question was asked from one character to another, who do you think the most depraved, detestable type of human, I'm paraphrasing, type of human being there is in the world? What type of person is that? You know, one of the heroes of the book responded, 
the man without a purpose. And that's what it's all about. See, what happens is when you have a purpose, and, and this is one of the interesting things. You see, you don't get just, this is one of the importance of philosophy. You don't just get hit with a purpose stick, you know, in your yeah. life. And, and people start with a purpose. It's like, no, the purpose is born out of something. It's born out of your philosophy. So you literally, through your philosophy, and it comes out of the third branch of philosophy, ethics. So once you have a view of the nature of reality, metaphysics, your view of the nature of reality, and then in the second branch of philosophy, epistemology, once you know why you have this view, or basically what are your rules of evidence, how do you, you know, um, what do you accept this proof and validation? So once you know where you are and once you know how you know it or that you're in this place, what you believe, then the next step is, okay, so now what do I do? That's ethics. Ethics provides a human being with a code of values and therefore will be a guide to your actions. My contention is what makes a human being different than every other form of animal on the planet is that we can choose a purpose. As I said earlier, a dog or a cow, they can't choose purposes for their lives. They are in survival. Animals in general live by survival. They'll seek pleasure, avoid pain, live in survival. Human beings can choose a purpose. So now if I have chosen a purpose and I'm not living in a subhuman level, which most human beings do, that's why there's so much pain and suffering. Their only thing they're hoping to do is survive and, and they suffer in that survival because of all the things that you just laid out in, in your preposition before the question. I think that you know, when you have a purpose, the pain might be there, or sometimes, as you cited, the pain might lead you to purpose, saying, I had this thing. I mean, look at yourself with, with your purpose in addiction. I mean, this is, this is profound. But what's it born out is your own pain and experience, but it's something that now you have an intimate knowing of. It led you to a purpose. Imagine if you found no purpose in it. And you just had this experience of addiction in the way that you've had it, you know, what that would lead to if it didn't say it's going to drive me now to do something in the world that I'm driven to do. And sometimes there's pain in it. I sat, I sat in the Genius you know, Network room one day when, you know, there was a little bit of conversation around the fact that you're talking about addiction a lot in the room. And you explained, hey, you know, this is this is my Miles Davis, which is one of the chapters in the book, right? Yeah. This is what I am on my deepest and purest level. This is my, you know, my Miles Davis is the, the language we use. And I can't apologize for it. I don't want it to be off-putting to anybody, but at the same time, I can't change it. It wouldn't be me anymore to do what I'm doing here. I, I admired you for the stand that you were taking at that moment that was creating the brand that we understand as Joe Polish. And this, and this is the whole point. Sometimes people think a brand is like a fantasy or fictional thing that you create to show outwardly into the world, but the reality is no. You're taking a stand and then the brand automatically emerges from the stand. And I was watching Joe Polish take a stand in front of a group of clients that pay him a lot of money to be in that room and you didn't want to be off putting to anybody, but you certainly weren't going to change your position on it for anybody. Right. And that, and that's the, that's the power of your stand is your brand. So in the end, that was born out of pain for you, but now you're turning it into purpose. And that purpose is impacting people in, in extraordinary ways. And I've seen you grow in this purpose now over years. Your intelligence around it has improved. Your philosophy and premises around it have completely expanded. You, you really keep moving it up to levels, levels. There's nothing, I, don't, I believe, and tell, tell me if I'm right or wrong, because this is one of the points I make in the book through the, the 5P expansion sequence. 
I believe that there's no amount of money that could buy you out of doing what you're doing right now with addiction. Oh, no, absolutely not. And, and, and if I had all the money in the world, I would put it towards this. Right. And, and it's yeah. what Rand said. When you're on purpose, money becomes a means of expanding the range of the purpose. Right. And that's what it's all about. Life isn't about avoiding pain or life isn't about just, just having pleasure. Life is about having values and a purpose and in that purpose, finding fulfillment independent of the pain and the pleasure. That's fascinating. This is really, really useful. And you just got me to actually see uh, even, a, and, I, and I believe I have a pretty deep attachment to this. Uh, there are some days I say this sort of jokingly um, and, and half serious where I wish I didn't have this, let me try to help addiction, right? Because right. it's it's a lot of fucking work. I mean, yeah. it's painful. I deal with, you know, people that have family members that have died and they're, they're struggling and suicidal. And it's and, and not only in my current state right now, just having recently created a foundation, I've, I've spent, you know, well over six hundred thousand dollars out of my own pocket and not even selling anything currently. I mean, closest thing we have is, you know, a book that I wrote, The American Morning for Addiction Recovery, and then some art that we did for artists for addicts. You know, one of our first art pieces the money, though, that it, I've spent to create these educational platforms to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment, and then find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share those with the world. You know, we're still figuring out what's the best way that we are going to be most useful in what I'm going to do. But I currently pay money mm. to do it. Not only can someone not pay me money to get me out of it, I'm actually paying to do this. Yeah. As the purpose is so important to me, I'm willing to go through, even if it takes years for that, because what I won't sell is something that I think is bullshit, even if I couldn't make money. I mean, we've had rehab centers that have come to us and said, we'll pay you a finder suite. We'll pay you a percentage of everyone that signs up if you will endorse our things on your Facebook group or on, you know, th through different forms of communication. And we were like, no. You know, that's not what we do. Now, if I ever find a treatment center or something that I, not, not that they're all bad, not that they're all good, right? There, there's certain aspects, it's a more complicated thing. But what you got me to understand, and the reason I'm telling this story is if you're someone listening to this and you find yourself either investing with deep conviction to something or meddling with something and other people are giving you grief about it, but you can't. It, it keeps you up at night. Mm -hmm. It keeps you attached to that, but you find yourself not living that role. Mm -hmm. You may want to stop and take a look at why that lights you up. Because when you say drive, what you're driven to, what is drive? I mean, I want to ask, like, what, like, what is it inside a person that gives you that direction or where your attention goes to? Because I think a lot of people... They're not living the life of who they actually are, and they don't know how to engage with it. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're here to help people do. I mean, I think your stand is to help people find their stand. To take a stand, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's exactly what we want to see happen. Lori and I have discussed this. We want to build a community of stand takers. And it doesn't have to be grand stands on you know, you know, solving world hunger type it could be very small things that are beautiful and impactful. And because and a lot of people think that you know, a stand has to be something that is, that is very sensational. Right. And, and, and I would say that, you know what, I think every day to some degree, we, could, we take small stands based on our values. So when we talk about these the driving forces, 
it starts with knowing your values and then be and then practicing values based decision makings. But imagine if your values are in conflict and you're driving in opposing directions. That's the whole contradiction thing. You know, you're, you're, you're driving in, in, in diver, divergent directions, which stretch you, torture you, put you in pain. And normally that happens because people feel like they have a contradiction between the moral and the practical. Mm-hmm. You're kind of alluded to this a little bit when you're saying, you know, hey, I've got this purpose. I sometimes have to put money in. I'm investing in this purpose. And and it almost to some people might sound, well, that's kind of impractical. But I, I know you and I know that you're going to invest in it until you find a way for this to self-generate, to create a wealth and abundance so that it can do things in the world. What happens if you think about this, if there's a contradiction between the moral and the practical saying, well, morally, this is what I'd like to do. But that's not the practical thing. The practical thing to do is this. Imagine if you have to choose one over the other. So, and this is, this is an, you know, an issue of ethics. Imagine, so if you have to make a choice between the moral and the practical, basically you have one of two choices. Either you're going to be a liar or a sucker. You know, right. either, either you're a sucker because you're saying, I'm going to starve to death because uh, you know, my, what I want to do morally is impractical. Or I'm going to be a liar because what I want to do, uh, you know, the practical stuff I'm doing isn't really what I'm finding to be moral. What I'm saying is, and this is where philosophy helps you, is that you find alignment between the moral and the practical, that these two things have to be the same thing. And when you find that alignment and you energize that alignment, you're opened up to a whole new world of experience and what an effectiveness and what you can achieve. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And now, now I pulled out this. Uh, I'm gonna. I happen to have two phones on me, and yeah. I, I went to a photo section because I've always found this one fascinating. Now, at a Genius Network annual event a couple years ago, now people that are listening to this on audio can't see it, but here's a picture of a of a guy holding a picture from Einstein on letterhead of a hotel letterhead in German. It was written in German, and I often say this sort of as I'll say this like I don't know how conscious I am because I said this earlier because I will trade pain for productivity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will suffer in order to make something happen. Now, that's not saying everyone should. And one of the things I want to make clear is if your stand is living a joyous life without a bunch of bullshit attached to it, you don't have to go out and do some grandiose thing where you're going to, you know, take over the world, solve world hunger. Like you said, I mean, one of your stands might be, you know what? The majority of people are doing it wrong. They're not happy. They're not enjoying their life. And I'm going to set up my life in a way that makes me freaking feel connected. And so I want to read this to you. So there were these autograph notes in which Einstein offered his thoughts on how to live a happy and fulfilling life, sold at a Jerusalem auction house Tuesday for a combined $1.8 million. Now, this is a couple years ago. So I'll, I'll read. I'm going to skip through. It says, Gail... Weiner, mm-hmm. chief executive of the auction house, said the bidding on the note began at 2000 and escalated for about 25 minutes, the Associated Press reported. So one of the notes was, when there's a will, there's a way, mm-hmm. read the other note written on a blank sheet of paper. That note sold at the auction for 240000 and was initially estimated to sell for a high of 6000 But here's the one that sold for $1.56 million. And it had originally been estimated to sell for between 5000 and 8000 according to the winner's auctions and exhibition website. Mm-hmm. And this is what Einstein wrote that someone paid $1,560,000 mm-hmm. for. And it said, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. Yeah. 
And, you know, and it was on German, it was written in German on the hotel stationery. And I, you know, I thought about that a lot saying, you know, I look at so many, my life, I look at a lot of my entrepreneurial friends, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. Like I often think like, okay, I'm doing all this stuff. And what people don't understand about driven entrepreneurs, they think it's all about the money. They they all got to do this. But the fact is, with the addiction stuff, my life would be way more peaceful Mm -hmm. and way more easy if I didn't do it. What it wouldn't have, though, is the fact that I have these great marketing skills that I've developed over many years. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of suffering that I think I can reduce or eliminate. And not I think. I know. We're already. already, I mean. You're you're already doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. I mean, we've we've already already know we've saved a few lives. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, it's like. Uh, yeah, I may have this, you know, sitting on a beach sort of thing, but that's not what the hell I'm doing it. And that's where the people that have that drive are so often misunderstood. You, you say, well, if you had all the money in the world, where would you retire? Where would you go on vacation? And most most of my my friends that have a purpose, they, they, that's not what they're going to do. What, what do you think? What are the richest people in the world doing? Yeah, they're not retiring. You know, when when Microsoft went public in 1983, I think Bill Gates was worth about 300 or so million dollars. Yeah. If you're if, if prosperity is your only cause, and this is what we talk about in the five P pyramid, that prosperity is the ultimate effect of who you are, not the cause. If prosperity was the cause, you, you retire on 300 million and you're good. But when he was worth 50 billion dollars it's an inconceivable amount of personal wealth 50 billion like you can't wrap your head around that number really he was still going to work every day at at microsoft and incidentally no longer as the ceo he's worth 50 billion dollars he shows up to work as what the chief software architect why there's no amount of money that could buy him out of that purpose if 50 billion dollars isn't going to do it Nothing's going to do it. Right. But there's something really important about what, you, what you're talking about here insofar as it's not a matter of the drive because the drive is there in, in the entrepreneurial mindset for sure. It's a matter of your personal experience around it. And this, this is, if I can get personal here for a moment, and this is the whole creative destruction thing. So I went through, I, I have a good meditation practice. I'm, you know, I meditate every single day. Um, my wife is... We were actually tra- yeah. we were trained together we, in meditation. We, we, we did TM meditation uh, yeah, together. My wife um, in, in Joe Dispenza's work is, you know, and we've known Joe for years, wonderful human being, but, but she's really advanced in that work. So, so it's a part of our household culture. And about a couple of years ago, and this is really, really an interesting thing to self-reflect, and I hope it, it serves people. And it's funny, I, I mentioned this once when I was just giving you a talk, and, and I can't believe how many people are impacted by it, so I'll mention it here just in case it has served somebody. So I, I would start my meditation in the morning, and one day when I would shut my eyes and go inward, it felt like a bonfire. Like I literally experienced like almost not quite visually like a hallucination, but I, I could sense a bonfire burning from the base of my neck to my pelvis inside of me. My whole cavity, my abdomen, and my chest was a huge fire was raging. And at first it, it, it startled me because it came out of nowhere. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't looking for it. But when I went inward, that's what I saw. And day by day, I'd see it every single day. And I'm like, and then and at first I, I think I resisted. But then I realized something is burning down inside of me that needs to burn. And what I realized is that it's, it was my identity. The, the identity that I was holding on to was in the flames. And, and I recognized pretty quickly that I just need to sit with it and just let it burn. 
my experience in life through decades of being an entrepreneur and achieving what you know some people might re- might view as success and on some scale where we're out there we're and and changing lives, impacting people, having literally, uh, you know, we calculated a multi-billion dollar impact on our clients, you know, productivity. I mean, it was, it was big, but my purpose was such, and my identity was such at that time in my life, I had recognized similar to what you said, that my number one core value, when I really analyzed it, I, I, I found out it was significance. And I used to think, oh, no, it's freedom or financial freedom or any of those types of things that, you know, and there's nothing right or wrong about those. But I, like you, I said, wait a minute, it can't be financial freedom. I would take my fortune and mortgage it against an idea that I got passionate about. I'd be taking the risk. I would mortgage my time. So time freedom, financial freedom. No, my behaviors are showing that that's not a core value because I am behaving in a way that I could have those things. But I'm, I'm if you will casting them away to go after something like you're describing in, you know, in addiction. So then, you know, I, I get this point where there's this is fire raging in me and I'm going through and I'm wondering what the hell is going on. And it took about a year and it all fell together for me when I was um, in Israel and uh, we, we were touring Israel and we were at the Holocaust Museum. Outside of the Holocaust Museum, they have these trees planted all around it. And our guide, our tour guide that was, that was taking us through said, each of these trees represents someone who sheltered Jews during the Holocaust. They planted a tree to them. They said, over there is the Schindler's tree. So there's some people that are famous, some people that you know, are well known. But over here is a tree. They sheltered one Jewish child over here, maybe one Jewish man, people you never heard of, will never hear of, but they put a plaque there for them. And then they said the thing that struck me, that literally I felt in my entire body, brought tears to my eyes. They said, we have a Jewish proverb. And the proverb is, when you save one life, you save the whole world. Mm. And what I realized that in my own business and business activities, is that with the, num- with the core value, the number one core value of significance, if I wasn't doing Martin Luther King level stuff, no matter how successful we got, no matter how well we were doing, I lived in angst. I could not enjoy it. I felt like I was underperforming. I never celebrated these successes along the way. It was like, hey, we achieved this. Great. Now we got to go to the next level. It's like, and it, it was somewhat maniacal. And, and so the way that I lived was taking, even though I will never say that I was, I was, you know, I was always, you know, feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And I, it wasn't like I felt bad about myself, but I, I, I was unconscious. The blind spot was how I had angst as a constant companion, how I had a, a maniacal drive as a constant companion. When I heard that, and it was after a year of this bonfire burning, I realized that this idea of significance as my number one core value has to go away. And my new core value that I adopted was fulfillment. My drive, as I observe myself now, has not changed. I'm still very driven. We're still very active. We're doing a lot. My experience in the drive is completely transformed. I can sit for a moment. I literally, after this, we're back home in Park City at our house, and I'm, I'm at, at, in the back porch with a cup of coffee in the morning, like I like to sit out there every morning in the summer, and I'm observing a drop of dew on a blade of grass, and I start getting teary in my eyes how beautiful that was to look at, whereas I never could have had that experience before. doesn't mean I'm any 
less driven in many respects, but my experience of the drive shifts because of the core value, the identity burn down, the creative destruction of an old identity that allowed a new identity to emerge and experience what I do in a very, very different, in my opinion, a much better way. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. There's, I, I have to resist the part of me that wants to make a joke and say, oh yeah, that's nice for you that you can look at a, a do and you can feel so <laughs> serene and so connected and everything. Cause there's some, yes, there's some man or woman out there that are like, motherfucker, I've been like at this shit for three decades of my life and I cannot figure out what the hell I'm supposed to do. Hence the reason we're actually having this conversation right. because they're there, you know, I hope what this does is offer some uh, reinforcement and encouragement to people that are on the path and they're just literally, we're here to celebrate and, and, and cheer you on down that path and for to find the people that are, even if they have success, feel, still feel lost. They feel like they're, they're just not there, like they're floundering. Mm-hmm. The beauty of it is, is you're like, that's, that's okay. The point is, if you at least know and you can have you know, your true north or whatever the yeah. hell analogy you want to use. So for, for when people get this book, because now I want to actually just make a, a call for, for someone to not just get the book. I mean, uh, everyone that's, that's listening to this and listening they literally can't afford the cost of a book or think, oh, you know, I'm going to wait. I mean, get the damn book. How do they engage with it? I mean, what's because I, I really don't want to, you know, I mean, most people that listen to my podcast buy 10 times more books than they have time to read. I really would like people to take this one seriously. And it, that's one of the reasons I said, even if you just buy it and you display it uh, and look at your stand as your brand. What else should your brand be? I mean, it, it needs to be your stand, right? That's right. And, and so what will they get out of this? So uh, first of all, as you can see, it's not a thick book. It's a, it's a fast read, which, yes. is, which is what I, I guess I kind of feel, because that's the kind of books I like. And I, I don't know how to put a bunch of filler in. I say it in as clear and concise a way as I can that I think is compelling, um, you know, whatever it is that I have to say. I look at this book as a journey. Literally, you could look at it or you can open a chapter and read a chapter and get a lot out of it, but there's a sequence to the chapters that is very intentional. And I and what I'm my objective was and we'll find out if I achieved it, you know, once it gets out there after publication date, my objective was to take the reader on a journey that is an intellectual journey. It's a spiritual journey for sure. And there are certainly very pragmatic pieces, like the models in like the 5P expansion sequence I talk about, the five branches of philosophy and how to organize. There's all these very pragmatic, put on the ground things. But in the end, what I'm hoping to do is to take whoever the reader is from where they are right now, take them on this journey, which is a tour of a parallel universe that's potentially possible for you if you're willing to engage your mind and your spirit in a process that is not very difficult. It, it, you know, like anything new, it takes a little while to learn. But once you get mastery here, you can never go back to the frequency or the level of function that you were before you adopted it. So my hope, literally, I, in the beginning of the book, I talk about this. Uh, I think there's two types of experience. I've taught not hundreds, thousands of seminars on six continents. What I could tell you when I start out, every single one of them is that there's two things that might happen here. You're going to have either a jacuzzi experience or a pivotal experience. The jacuzzi experience is it's going to feel good while it's happening. I think it's an enjoyable read, so you're going to feel good while you're reading the book, but then you close the book and your life goes back to what it was. Nothing changes. That's like a jacuzzi. You get in the jacuzzi, and I'm against it. We have them in our house. You get into, you get into the jacuzzi. It feels good while you're in the, in the jacuzzi, but the next day it has no impact on your life. 
the transformational or what we call, I like to call the pivotal experience is that experience that once you have it, your life is never the same again, that you can point to and say, ever since I did X, in this case, ever since I read that book, it put me on a new path that I otherwise would never have been on. My intention for the book, which was extremely clear to me, is to give people pivotal experiences. I want them to be able to 10 years from now say, ever since I read that book, it put me on a new path and sent me in a new direction that if I didn't read it, would never have gotten me to where I am. So that's what it's there for. I love it. I love it. And here's, here's an idea that I have too. Uh, so like one thing that we're, we're doing our first version of this. Now I've done contests for many years. I mean, I was hired years ago as a marketing consultant by a guy named Bill Phillips who mm-hmm. started these physique transformation contests. And I literally helped him. Uh, I mean, over a million people went through. The, They're legendary. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it was big. And so we, we're, we're doing different challenges right now. And we're doing an elf challenge, uh, easy, lucrative, fun challenge just for my current Genius Network members, but we'll probably ultimately roll it out to uh, you know business owners at large. And uh, one of my team members, uh, who's my CMO, she registered ElfChallenge.com, and we have this whole thing. I actually am envisioning uh, your stand as your brand challenge. Mm. So the people that read this book, there's a challenge, and yeah. you literally walk them through, and you start having a a group of these these people that are like, "This is my stand. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how." I, and I would love to to see that happen, so that when when people are like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why is it? It's like you point to this book and say, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Read it. I think that's how you start taking your own stand, your own philosophy and in your own reason to, 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 to learn this capability uh, seriously. And it's also repellent from people that are giving you shit about being who you really want to be. Mm-hmm. It's quit making excuses for what matters to you. Go deep with it, not go shallow. And most people, they, you know, it's that whole saying, you, 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 when you're getting ready to go on vacation, you'll spend more time planning your vacation than planning your marriage and planning your life and planning your business. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, when you now have a reason to go on vacation, you get, you know, you, you get shit done, you prepare, right? Sure. Now, if you treat your own stand that way, and you, you will literally get, you will get clear and you, you're not, you may need to go through some stages before you have clarity. It may, you may be going through the fog and I would venture to say most people are in that fog all the time and they never get out of it. That's right. And I think you sitting there, you know, looking at the dew or whatever is after years of going through that fog, you realize, wow, I actually now see something I never noticed before. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this is so important. So what's the website where people can get uh, all of the, uh, like the, the video of you presenting at the Genius X meeting and whatever else where people can pre-order it there to get that stuff. So, so here's where you go. And instantly comment what you just said. You're right. Sometimes it can take a while, any number of months, even years to figure out what your stand needs to be eventually. The key is to understand and, and know and enjoy the process. Rather than having angst about, I don't know it yet, what's wrong, what's my purpose for me? It's like, enjoy the process of discovery along the way. It's very trite, but it really is about the journey, not the destination. There's two URLs that will direct you to the book. One is my last name, Gentempo, with a G, G-E-N-T-E-M-P-O.com. Uh, so people who know me, it's the easy one for them. Or the name of the book, Your Stand Is Your Brand. Dot com. If you go there, then um, you can, you know, there's the links to the retailers, you know, it's, you know, so you order directly from them. And then there's the, uh, the box where once you have your order number, you can pop it in and then get the bonus that we talked about, which is uh, my presentation at your 100K group. 
as this book comes out and you start, you know, seeing all of the shifts and all of the things that it does for people, I'd be really curious to see how people are finally saying, okay, here's who I am. Here's what I stand for. Yeah. Because I think that's where you'll see, uh, you're, you're going to create an army of uh, change makers. Well, and exactly. We call them stand takers. Yeah. And, and, uh, in the, uh, epilogue to the book, we have them because we, once we get through publication, et cetera, on the, your Stand Is Your Brand page, we're going to have um, a place for a community of stand takers to post their stand and share them. And my hope is to be able to connect them because maybe somebody's taking a stand because collaboration is really the ultimate place and the ultimate destination. Yep. So if we find a stand taker in South America that's got a similar stand to somebody in Europe and a similar stand to somebody in California, that they, you know, through some intelligence that we build into the site, that they can connect with each other and collaborate on their stands together and and do something bigger in the world you know through that collaboration so that that's a, that's a part of the vision of this thing awesome that's yeah. fantastic all right well as always patrick uh, wonderful to speak with you yeah. and just banter and talk and yeah sure so uh, the book is your stand is your brand how deciding who to be not what to do will revolutionize your business and it'll revolutionize your life patrick gentempo thanks brother thank you so much if you'd like to learn more about the Genius Network annual event or to apply, go to GeniusNetwork.com. Don't miss another episode of I Love Marketing. Subscribe today at ilovemarketing.com forward slash subscribe. If you'd like to access the show notes or the exercise to help you take action on what was discussed, please visit ilovemarketing.com forward slash 363. 